Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, This Means War, from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Listen, today we are, uh, I'm really excited. This is one of my most favorite places in Scripture. I think it's a magnificent story. I think it's a really um, magnificent scene. Part of the reason why is because there's a lot of, like we sang today, we sing at least two songs today about um, this thing that we're in called the battle, right? And where we're going to look in, uh, look at uh, in this scene in Matthew chapter 26, it's, um, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in this olive garden. And um, I believe it's, I, I want to use stronger language. I want to call it a war. And it's a fight. There's a couple of fights in this scene. And uh, I'm, I'm really challenged. I think for a long time in my life, I didn't quite understand everything in this scene. I think that you can overlook, you can read things, and uh, I'll refer to that in a little bit. But I think that you can refer to th- see things and not see it actually correctly because we don't give it enough time. And we don't work enough with what's being said and what hasn't been said enough to recognize it. But there's definitely a war happening in this scene, and it's, a, it's a, definitely a battle, and there is real, real fighting uh, going on. And Jesus is going to um, uh, show us how to do that. Now, I've been in this garden before, this olive garden, that is, and I'm not talking about the restaurant. I've been there too. That sounds good today, those breadsticks. But um, this place is really unique. You know, when you, um, when you visit... Uh, the Olive Garden there at, um, or Gethsemane in Israel. From there, you can see the Temple Mount. It's pretty fantastic place. And the olive trees, you know, olive tree doesn't necessarily ever die. It just kind of just keeps growing almost no matter what, and especially the root system and things. So olive trees can get to be thousands of years old. And when you go and you see these olive trees in this garden, you, uh, it, it takes like three people holding hands in order to maybe stretch all the way around some of them. They're just enormous. They're very old. It's a pretty magnificent place, and um, it feels kind of sacred and peaceful, and that's the scene that we're going to um, look at. So turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to go to verse 36. We'll read it through, and then we're going to draw the truth out of the text. So starting in verse 36 in Matthew 26 at Gethsemane, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, by the way, and became anguished and distressed. So those are important words. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. 
Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, now put on your snarky sort of matter of fact kind of attitude and say this line. So you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Because that's the way he said it. Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now, a while back, I gave a a message and I kind of titled it, I Just Know Things. Jesus could definitely say that right here. I just know things, okay? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. He came again and he found them sleeping. They could not keep their eyes open. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is approaching and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. So, wow, there's some... Like I said, it's, it's one of my most favorite places in all of Scripture. And I, I think it's because of, um, I, I really do, I think it's because of this sort of battle and fighting and war that takes place when you really get into it. Plus it is, I can really relate to multiple things that um, are happening in the whole scene. Because... <laughs> Before all of this, right, you remember, if you, if you backed all the way up to verse 26 of the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus says, I tell you from now on, I'll not drink of this fruit of the vine until uh, that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so then he says, this night you're going to fall all away because, um, because of me. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd. The sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I'll go uh, ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter says to him, well, if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Remember he says that? I'll never fall away. I'm not, no way, not me. And Jesus says, well, before, uh, uh, on, on this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says to him, well, even if I got to die with you, I'm never, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I really like that Peter said that. I think he wanted to say that. I think he believed what he was saying. I think that's what I would have said. I do. I also think I'm a lot like Peter and because I know the way it turned out. So here's the deal. I want to focus with you on this passage for a reason because it's the story of Jesus. And I think on, on this night just before he dies and, there's, and, and, and that has 
that's what I think makes it so intense. Intense. The way it relates is that it describes the war Jesus fought on his way to making it possible for God to justify and turn and transform the hearts of condemned traitors, sinful people like you and I. He transform this 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 whole night makes it possible to transform our hearts from death to life. And what I hope to show you is that this story from the garden, all right, it teaches us not only how Jesus fought his way to the cross, but how he set up the whole evening to show us how to actually join him in the fight and in the war, in the battle. Because in order for God to freely and righteously turn and justify the hearts of condemned traitors from death to life, in order for that all to happen, to turn people from Satan to God and from blindness to seeing, from unbelief to faith. Not only did Jesus have to die for sinful people like you and I, but we have to take up our cross and then open up our mouth and tell people what Christ has done. You can't just hide behind that. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. If you're a Christ follower, it just doesn't fly. God doesn't turn the hearts of rebels to himself apart from two things. He doesn't turn the hearts of rebels to himself apart from the death of Christ on the cross. The cross is a big deal. He's got to get there. And the word of God in our mouth telling people about Jesus. People have to hear it. People have to... We have to explain to people who Jesus is. Christ had to purchase, he had to buy sinners. We have to tell people that. When God turns the hearts and transforms hearts, faith actually happens. And faith comes by hearing the word of the cross and the gospel and this journey right out of Romans 10. Christ has to die, so we now have to speak about this. This is how God transforms and changes people and changes us from the inside out. This is how he gathers his people in Vail and in Tucson. This is how he does it, and he's always done it, among all the people of the world. Without the blood of Jesus and the word of God, nobody can be born again. Nobody can be born from above. Nobody can be transformed and changed and saved. That is, no hearts are transformed from death to life. So in Gethsemane, Jesus was doing a couple of things right here. He was fighting for the success of his death. That sounds crazy, but that's what he's doing. He's fighting for the success of his death, that he wouldn't be overcome by death, but that death would be overcome by him. And, And then he's showing us, he's showing how his followers have to join him in the same fight. That's how his mission of transforming hearts from death to life succeeds. And how you and I, I think, can make an eternal difference in the world when we accept our mission and our mandate. So I want to move through the text. We're going to look at it kind of twice. We're going to look at it in two different ways. 
The first way is we're going to watch how Jesus fights for his own victory over death. And then the second time we go through this, um, we're going to watch how he draws us into the fight. It's pretty amazing. So let's talk about this fighting for the cup because he says in Matthew 26, 38, in verse 30, he says, my soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. This is a really dangerous mission and you can't forsake that. You can't just gloss over that. It's possible for anybody to become so sad, to become so weighed down by a distress that things become so distorted that the, the, the future seems hopeless. I don't know if you've ever been to a place like that where your actions, where action towards solving uh, some sort of issue seem actually impossible. Maybe you've experienced it, I don't know. But the weight of this text ensures us, it's trying to communicate that this is not small. This event's not small. Jesus's mission is actually in jeopardy right here. He has to fight against this paralyzing, heavy, horrible thing. It's, it's sorrow and it's weighing on him. It's making him distressed. It's making him grieve. It's making him, it's, it's stressing him out. It is. Look at verse uh, 39. Because in verse 39 of Matthew 26, he fights by crying out for help to his father. He says, it says, going a little further, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you will. See, the cup is full of all the horrors of the next eight hours. It's full of all this awful stuff, the physical torture that he's gonna experience, the abandonment of his friends, the turning away of God the Father while he becomes sin for us because sin cannot be in the presence of God the Father. He asks that if there's any way to achieve God's purpose of salvation, Without drinking this cup, he says, would you let that happen? Would you, would, would, can we do it another way that doesn't require me to drink this? And then, amazingly, he submits. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus' way of fighting against this first crushing distress is to ask that if it's possible, he would not have to drink the cup of agony if it's possible. Is there another way? And then that, that just leads to the third point, your will, not mine. See, so now passing over for the moment, just for a second, his intentions with the disciples that he found sleeping, just kind of go and pass that a minute. Just go straight to Jesus' second time of praying. And Jesus' second time that he prays, Matthew 26, verse 42, it says, he went away a second time and prayed. He says, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. Now, there's some crazy stuff that happens here. Something happens that causes his prayer to be dramatically different this time. Listen carefully to what he says, because between the first time he prays and the second time he prays, something happens. In the first prayer in verse 39, the passing of the cup meant not drinking it. That's what he's praying. In the second prayer in verse 42, the passing of the cup is by drinking it. 
If this cup can't be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done, Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't go on praying that he would not have to drink the cup. He didn't keep on doing that. He went on praying for success in drinking it. It took me a while to find this out, to figure this out. I mean, you just read through this story. You're not thinking this way. The battle lines, the war, the fighting sort of like scene, it it changes between the first and the second prayer. It shifts. The first fight is keep the cup, um, keep the cup um, of, of death and suffering from me if possible. That's the first prayer. And then the, and the first fight. The second fight is, as I drink the cup, don't let me fail to do your will and accomplish my mission. What happened between these two prayers? What, what's going on? What, something had to happen in there, it, it seems like. Well, there's two things. One, you can find it in, in Luke, and the other one, you can find it in Hebrews. Let's go to the first one. Luke tells us that after Jesus' first prayer in Luke twenty two forty three, look what he says. He says, then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Angels change everything, it seems like, don't they? Strengthening him to do what? To drink the cup. Because there's no other way. So before his first fight in Gethsemane's done, things shift from keep the cup from me to give me success in drinking this stuff. Give me success in doing your will, finishing my mission, conquering death. Here comes the fourth point. It's about being saved from death. See, the second, the second place that you can find what happens between these two prayers, it's in Hebrews 5.7. The Hebrew writer says in 5.7, he says, during his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications. With loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, he was heard Because of his devotion. So he cried out to be saved from death. And what happens? God answers him. He saved him from death. Yeah, he died. But he was saved from death. Death did not destroy him. The fear of death didn't destroy his obedience. Before death, right? And the experience of death didn't destroy his life after death. So the deep distress of death or distresses of facing death, were threatening to drive him off of this path, this road, this journey of obedience to the cross. If they succeeded, death would have been the the victor even before he died. This is what his loud cries were all about. Father, don't let this happen. And God answers his prayer by sending an angel to strengthen his body and his mind and his heart so that the distress of death doesn't discourage him, doesn't intimidate him, and doesn't derail his obedience. I wonder if you ever pray like that. I mean, that's praying. Because he was saved from the power that death has to make us afraid to die, right? That's what the power of death does. It, it, it makes us afraid to die. 
So the first night of Gethsemane, Jesus' war, it's fought in kind of two stages, so to speak, as the fight kind of shifts. Jesus, number one, he fought to be saved from death by escaping it if possible. That's the first real fight. Then God sends an angel to strengthen him. Jesus, uh, uh, um, and, and, and the angel clarifies once and for all, the cup has to be drunk. So a new fight begins. The new fight, God since I got to die, since I, since I have to drink the cup, excuse me, the cup of death, don't let the distress, don't let the stress, the pain, the fear, the intimidation, the discouragement, don't, don't let it cause me to deviate from my mission, my, my road to obedience. So God answered that prayer, which is why we're all in this room today, actually. We're all following or we're trying to follow the risen Lord Jesus. That's the first fight of the Gethsemane War. It's an unbelievable scene. Let's move on. Because now this time, let's go through the battlefield. Let's go through this scene, right? Let's go through this war zone of Gethsemane. Only this time, watch how he draws us into the same fight. Sometimes we're so familiar, we're so, we think we know the story so well that we don't take time to realize it might have been totally different. <laughs> For example, Jesus, Jesus might have come to Gethsemane with 11 guys, his 11 disciples, right? And he told them all to sit and wait to be sure that he wasn't disturbed. And then that's what he's doing. He goes 50 yards away so nobody can really hear and then returns just in time to meet Judas. But that's not the way it happens. It happens differently. Why? Because Jesus, he didn't set it up that way. He intentionally set up the scene another way. He has his reasons and they include you and I. And, And so here we go. Watch how he sets it up then step back and draw the truth out of the text and, and ask this question, what does this got to do with me? How does this apply to me? You got to look through this lens. Look at Matthew 26, 36, because he tells eight of them this, eight of his guys. He says, sit here while I go over there and pray. Not all of them, eight of them. He takes with him, according to Matthew 26, 37, then Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. We know that just from reading other accounts, right? James and John don't even get named anywhere in this text, only Peter. There's reasons why. Why not take all 11 guys with him so that they can all hear him fight in this war? Why only these three guys? I mean, they were there. They were all there, but he pulls these guys, these other guys, just a little bit closer. Jesus says, verse, 26, uh, verse 38, 26, verse 38, he says, remain here and watch with me. In other words, all right, guys, Peter and these other two guys, James and John, sons of Zebedee, right? Stay awake, be spiritually observant, be alert with me, pay attention. 
Huge forces are at work tonight. You need to be awake and spiritually alert. That's what he's saying. You can already start putting yourself in these shoes. After the first fight of this battle, Jesus returns and he finds Peter and these other two guys, James and John, sleeping in verse 40. They're sleeping. They didn't follow through in obedience. And strikingly, Jesus addresses Peter straight up. He calls him out by name. Already, I can see in myself just a couple of things. Let's just back up a second. I am never going to deny you. It's not going to happen. I'm ready to die for you. I can see myself saying that. I absolutely can. He says to Peter, so you couldn't watch with me one hour? One hour? So Peter alone gets named when Jesus picks, picks the three. I think he does that to me all the time. You open up your mouth. Okay. Now, hang on. Peter alone gets names when, named when Jesus picks the three guys. Peter, Matthew 26, 37. And Peter alone gets named when he rebukes the three. Verse 40. I'm not saying don't. Be, uh, I'm not saying be careful about what you say. I'm just saying it's pointing out something really important here. So then Jesus gets more specific as to why their wakefulness and their prayer is so critical right here. Even though Peter is named, the verbs, all right, the verbs in Greek are all second person, plural, not singular. So they're all named. He just uses one name. I just kind of like how that works. Look at verse 41 and verse 26. Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. So the spirit is indeed willing. And I think Peter's spirit is willing. And I think it's right there with most of us. But the flesh, the flesh is pretty weak, right? In other words, listen, guys. You're about to face the hardest temptations of your life in the next hours, and you're going to be sucked into these temptations, right, and, and, and destroyed if you do not watch and pray. If you don't stay alert, if you don't sit up and pay attention, because even though you have all said with all your valiant spirits, right, verse 35, that's where it is, even if I got to die with you, I will never deny you, Jesus I mean, isn't that your attitude? Isn't that your, where your heart is? That's where mine is. Jesus is saying your, fleet, your, 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 your weak flesh is more vulnerable than you think. And according to Matthew 26, 43, when he came a second time, they were sleeping again. But Jesus isn't going to have it. There's not going to be defeat for Jesus. This is how... They joined Jesus in the fight of Gethsemane. Think about this. They slept through it. They slept through it. And you get to read the outcome in verse 56. Flip, we didn't even get down there. Go down to verse 56. Read it for yourself in, verse 20, in chapter 26. Then all the disciples left him and fled. 
That means ran. Got out of there. They were defeated at the fight, at the war of Gethsemane. And the only reason there's a church today, a Christian church today, a New Testament, a hope for Vail and Vail Christian Church in Tucson is that Jesus was not defeated in Gethsemane because those guys were. And because Jesus did exactly what he came to do. He laid down his life for the straying sheep and he prayed that their faith, though it had failed, would not fail completely or utterly or literally. So then Jesus came a third time. It's amazing. A third time and he says in verses 45 and 46, he says, then he came to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is approaching and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. And in those next minutes, that's when Jesus defeats the fear of death. Right there, the battle just comes to a total head. And the disciples are overcome by it. He won the fight and the war of Gethsemane. They lost it. The implications are pretty huge here. Clearly, this story is in the Bible right here so that we can watch all of that happen and be ready for the fight of or the war of Gethsemane. Clearly, it's all there for us to observe. That is, be ready to move with Jesus into his saving work, to join him in making the greatest difference in the world. Clearly, he wants us to experience this and see this for ourselves and see ourselves in the midst of all of this ridiculousness that happens with these guys sleeping. Jesus was just hours of way, a way of making the greatest possible difference in history, in the history of the world. He's just hours away from doing that. He's about to do something on Good Friday and Easter, which would make the greatest difference in history, just like I said. More difference than any other event ever. It happens in just hours. He's going to shoulder, he's going to take on the wrath of God that millions of rebellious traitors like you and me deserved. We deserved all of the all of the wrath of God for the crimes against the king of the universe. We deserve it. He's going to take all that. He becomes a curse for them in Galatians 3. He is struck down by God and afflicted in Isaiah 53. He would shoulder our sins in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2. He would give his life as a ransom in Mark 10. He would die for the ungodly, Romans 5. He would rise from the dead, never to die again. He would pour out his spirit and turn or transform the hearts of millions to himself in faith. He would justify them, Romans 3. He would adopt them into his family, Galatians 4. He would give them eternal life, John 3. Conform them. Into his image, 2 Corinthians 3. Keep them from falling, Jude 1. And bring them into his presence where there is complete and full joy and pleasure and the 
the pleasures of God forevermore in Psalm 16. This is the way Jesus has made the greatest difference for the good of people and the glory of God than any other person or event in history. What does all of that have to do with you and me? The point of this war in Gethsemane is that the Lord is asking us, he's asking you and me, he's fully asking us, that you can't draw the truth out of the text any other way, he's asking us to come with him into this war and fight. That's the point. Come into the war and fight. Why did he just draw Peter and, 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 and uh, James and John? Why did he do all that? I'm not exactly sure. He has done and will do the decisive work of transforming people and turning them to himself. But he intended to win this battle with you and me at his side. That's what he wants. Telling people about Jesus and the way he has made for them. He didn't invite Peter and James and John into the warfare for nothing. He didn't do that for nothing. It seems like, why did you do all that? Nothing happened. They slept through the whole battle. He didn't do it for nothing. He didn't warn them about the weakness of their flesh and call them to be spiritually observant and alert by praying for nothing. He did it for you and me. He intended for you and me to fight and to suffer and to triumph with him. And he wants us to see that. I don't know if I ever saw it quite like this before. He wants us to straight up witness all of that in this story. He says, I'm God and I'm going to turn the hearts of people and transform people from darkness to light and from Satan to God. I did it. I've done it um, all over the place. I've done it in 10,000 cities and places across our country, across our nation, across the world for 2,000 years through my people. And I intend to do it through you. I love this. When Judas finally approaches with swords and all these soldiers and clubs and the fight or the war of Gethsemane comes to a climax. Jesus, look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say to his guys, hey, goodbye. I'm going now. Do you see what he says? What does this have to do with me? Look at verse 45 and 46. Get up, let's go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. What does this have to do with me? Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you? Or are you just coming to soak up stuff and hope Pastor Ben can bring it every week and Kevin's good and there's great stuff going on for your kids? Or do you really want to make a difference? Why are you here? Because you cannot look at this story and get away from it. Do you want to make a difference in the world? He has taught you and me in, the Gethsemane, in, in Gethsemane how to fight. He doesn't say, goodbye, I'm going now. Look what he says. It's in bold up here. Put up the last one. Get up. Let's go. That's what he says. Get up. Get up, Peter, James, and John, you big sleepers. I'm taking you with me anyway. I want you in this battle with me. I get it. I know. 
I know you slept through this whole. Do you remember though, after this, after he rises from the dead and they think he's gone, they're all defeated. He comes back to them. He helps them connect the dots. And what do they do with their lives? I'm telling you, they look back on this and they go, oh my gosh, we were invited into the fight the whole time. Let's go. Because there's the challenge right there. There it is. What does this happen to have to do with me? Do you want to make a difference in the world? He taught us right there. You can't get around it. I wish more and more across the country, we focused on this story because this is what we're called to do and who we're called to be. And it's all here in this scene. And it's a battle and it's a war. Don't think it's not. It's a battle and it's a war. It's a fight. Jesus fights for you in this scene and he expects you to join him in the fight. Thank you, God, that it's really plain right here. Thank you for this garden. Thank you for these guys that are just like us, half the time sleeping through the whole thing. I don't wanna be that guy. My heart is probably no different than Peter's. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I don't want it to go like that. Help me to stay alert and observe and utilize my mouth in telling people about Jesus. You did the work at the cross. Your son Jesus followed through. He drank the cup. Lord God, give us the same strength you give Jesus because it's easy to get intimidated. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to get off track with our mission and our mandate and yet you want us in the fight anyway. Thank you for using all of our frailties and our shortcomings, all of our weaknesses, just like these guys had. Thank you, Lord God, for including us and help us to fight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.